Good afternoon, everybody. How y'all doing today? Good, great, awesome. <laughs> it's a warm day today, and the sun is out, it's shining, and we would love to get you back out there. Uh, we want to start earlier next week so that we could enjoy the, the sunshine. So come on back early next week and hopefully get a little something to eat, and, and then we could get started with our service a little earlier. Our study for today is entitled, Is Not Is. Is Not Is. What does that mean? It really doesn't mean anything. <laughs> it's just supposed to befuddle our minds. Some things that we think are, are actually not. Our study today is steeped in a little bit of reality and a little bit of identity. And most people living in the world today might be suffering from an identity crisis. And this identity crisis, it varies in different ways. Some people know themselves a lot better than other people know themselves. Or some people be, might be very self-aware of what they're doing with their life, but they still don't know who they are, okay? How many of you wonder who is God? Who or what is God? I wonder. I wonder, like, all the time, I wonder. There are people that go on quests trying to figure out the purpose of life. Some people want to know, am I created or did I come from a monkey? You know, they don't know what it is. So they go out on these quests wanting to discover who God is. What is life all about? Is there a God? I'm not going to try to answer that question, is there a God? I'm not going to try to answer the question, what is God? But what I am going to do as a Christian, I'm going to the Word. And in the Bible, I do recognize it as an authority, God's Word in my life. I recognize it as the, the ultimate authority, God's Word that's survived all these generations till today. He's going to be late for class. He loves learning about God. <laughs> That's my eldest son. So today we're going to be looking at the Bible and see what does God say about who he is, okay? And one of the first things that we see here, we're going to be reading in Exodus chapter 3, verses 13 to 15. Moses said to God, suppose I go to the Israelites and say to them, the God of your fathers has sent me to you. And they ask me, what is his name? Then what would I tell them? God said to Moses, I am who I am. This is what you say to the Israelites. I am has sent, you, has sent me to you. God also said to Moses, say to the Israelites, the Lord, the God of your fathers, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob has sent me to you. This is my name forever, the name you should call me from generation to generation. Okay, so God says to Moses when Moses asks, what should I tell them your name is? God says, listen, I am who I am. Tell them, I am sent you. That's helpful. If you're Moses, you're like, what do you mean I am? That doesn't make sense. Is that really your name? And then God goes on and he says, listen, tell them the Lord sent you. And you notice in the Old Testament, whenever you read that word Lord, as it refers to God, it's all in capital letters. Right? I always used to wonder about that. I'm like, why is it all capital letters? Well, in, this, uh, in the Old Testament, in the Hebrew Scriptures, you're going to find 
what was originally placed there as Lord would have been the letters Y-H-W-H. So Lord, that when we read it, it would be Y-H-W-H in the scriptures. Now in the Hebrew scriptures, you wonder, how am I supposed to pronounce that? Because there's no vowels. The vowels give air and breath to the word, right? So it would be something like there's no force behind it, just, just like a whisper. We don't utter God's name. It's so holy. Yahweh. So in order to, they wanted to be able to call a name for God. So they take that name Yahweh, right, and they give air to it. They give breath to it, or Yahweh or Jehovah. And we wonder, where did they get these letters, these vowels plugged in to give breath to Yahweh? They take the word Adonai, a do nai Jehovah. So when we call the name Jehovah, this is the name of the ever-living God. If ever you hear God's name written out in Scripture, open up your sidebar there. Several different names for God to help us understand who God is. We have Jehovah Jireh, the God who provides. Jehovah Rafi, the God who heals. Jehovah Shalom, the God of peace. Jehovah Sabaoth, the Lord of hosts. Jehovah Shammah, the God who is there. Jehovah Nisi, the God, our banner. Jehovah Roy, the, God, the Lord, our shepherd. All these different names help us understand a little bit more about who God is, right? But the name itself, just Jehovah, can be called out. And you know that you're speaking of the God of heaven, the Lord of all creation. Now, it's interesting, I found God could say with full certainty, I am who I am. I am to be. God is that he is. He existed before he's eternal. Nobody needed to create God. And God could say with full certainty, I am who I am. Could you say for full certainty, you know who you are? To say so boldly, well, I am Tim and all that Tim is. I'm still trying to figure out who Tim is. I don't know. I'm still discovering. God doesn't need to discover anything about himself. He is who he is with full certainty. And that, he never changes. Our God is eternal, and he never changes. He is the same yesterday, today, and forever. Let's look at Psalm 9:10. Why was it important that we know God's name? Those who know your name trust in you. For you, Lord, have never forsaken those who seek you. Do you know God's name? I don't know. I call him God. Is God his name? Uh, he didn't say that's his name. Right? When asked, what's your name? Tell, just tell them, I am sent you. But since you ask my name, it's something like Yahweh. Now that Yahweh is just like breath. And we know that God breathes in the breath of life for us to live. Without God's breath, there would be none of us walking around here. There would be no life. God is life. God is that breath. And his spirit that dwells in us brings life. Yahweh. Any of you study Shakespeare growing up? Yeah? Yes. I've heard a few people, yes. If you've studied Shakespeare, one of my favorite Shakespeare plays was uh, Romeo and Juliet. Surprise, surprise. 
I remember uh, I started studying it back in elementary school, Romeo and Juliet. And there's a certain scene, scene two, act two, scene two. Right, do you remember this one? Oh, Romeo, Romeo, wherefore art thou, Romeo? Deny thy father and refuse thy name. Or if thou wilt not be, but sworn my love, and I'll no longer be a Capulet. It sounds so sweet and whatever. But when we look at it, what is she asking him to do? She's calling out his name. Deny thy father and refuse thy name. Forget about who you are and where you've come from. Romeo Montague. The Montagues were enemies of the Capulet family. And these young lovers just wanted to be together. So she's saying, forget about being a Montague. Give up your name. Don't be Romeo anymore. Everything that you are is tied to that name. You see, they knew the importance of the name. And she's asking him, strip yourself of that name. You are still you. You're still the person I want. You're the love of my life. Just call me your love, and I will forget about being a Capulet. So they're stripping the names. Why? Because there's so much linked to the name. Now, when I, when I named our boys with my wife, we're the parents, and we get to choose the names of our children, right? So we wanted to choose names that were very meaningful. And we hope that by naming our boys this, when they grow up, they might not understand or live what their name means now, but we could only hope and desire that they will come to understand what their name means. Now, my name, Timothy, was given to me, and my name means honoring God. And growing up, I was not honoring God. Just because my parents named me Timothy didn't mean that I'm a person who honors God. I had to come to a place of discovery and learn what it meant to how to honor God. And now here with my life, I hope to fulfill the meaning of my name, Timothy. See, as human beings, we, can't, we don't have the power to change people. We could assign names, okay, but that doesn't mean that we could shape who they're going to become. Only God has the power and authority to change somebody from the inside. And in the Bible, we see how God gives people new names once they've been changed, once they've met with God. Then God gives them a new name. Romeo, at the end of this uh, little scene here, says, I take thee at thy word, Juliet, call me but love, and I'll be new baptized. Henceforth, I never will be Romeo. He's ready to strip himself of, of, his, of his name and everything that's carried with it. He says, listen, I trust you. Just call me your love. We could be together, and I'll be new baptized. I'll go by a new name. Right? At baptism, we're assigned a name, right? I'll, be, I'll live by a new name. Henceforth, I never will be Romeo. And I always wondered, why did I enjoy this scene so much? Not just because it was like Shakespeare and one of the most popular scenes of his ever written, right? But it helps me remember, listen, here I am here on this earth, and what God calls us to do when we follow him is to deny all that we were before. Strip ourselves of the name and all the sin that's been associated with that name. And then we put on Christ. It's no longer us that live, but Christ that dwells in us. Right? We, we strip ourselves of all that and we go by a new name. When we come to follow Jesus Christ, we become Christians. 
que si. In the Bible, names are very symbolic. Names are very symbolic. The essence of the individual is captured in a name. What's in a name? In ancient times, it was an act of authority to impose names and an act of submission to receive them. So as the parent, I name my children, right? I have the authority over my children. And my children, as they're growing up, they rely on me, they depend on me. In submission, they receive who they are and their name in that. They also carry my family name, right? They carry my family name. When my wife joined me in marriage, she decided to take my name as Mrs. Corpus. And I was like, cool, I have a girl beside me who's called Mrs. Corpus. This is weird. It's still weird. I look at her and I'm just like, wow, you know, knowing that she's a corpus, she's now part of my family. Knowing she's a corpus, we're now joined together this way. And all of our children, little guys that are running around, they're all little corpuses too. What's in a name? It's Father's Day this weekend, right? Happy Father's Day, first of all, to all you dads out there. Um, all you moms that have to play dad too, happy Father's Day. And God our Father, he has a name, right? And we are his children. So to carry the name of a Christian, what does that mean? What is in that name, Christian? Are you in Christ? Is Christ's spirit alive in you? What is in a name? Think about it. Exodus 20, verse 7. It says, You shall not misuse the name of the Lord your God, for the Lord will not hold anyone guiltless who misuses his name. So here's a question. Do you misuse the name of the Lord your God? Have you taken his name in vain? Believers bear the name of Christ as they are named Christian. Are you what you claim to be? We sing that song, I'm a child of God. Yes, I am. We're declaring that we are children of God. Are you what you claim to be? What's the reality of it all? We might want to be a Christian by title, but the reality is what you're living. You see? Everything is not always as it appears to be. Some people say, oh, he's a Christian because he goes to church on the weekend. He prays and stuff, right? But what about the rest of his life? Is he a Christian? We need a dose of reality, I reckon. We need a dose of reality. How are we choosing to live our lives? Are we the people that we claim to be? Let's go to Isaiah 64, verse 8. Yet you, Lord, are our father. We are the clay. You are the potter. We are all the work of your hand. Genesis 1, 27. So God created mankind in his own image. In the image of God, he created them. Male and female, he created them. So right here in these two verses alone, we recognize two things. God is our father. That makes us his children, right? We also see that God created mankind in his own image. We are created beings, okay? God is the creator. We are his created beings. 
How many of you feel that you got a pretty good grasp of your life and what it's supposed to be right now? There's no shame in saying that you do. I have a pretty good grasp on how I think life should be for myself right now, and I'm not saying that out of pride, okay? And if you don't know who you are and what you're supposed to be doing right now, that's okay. Don't feel bad. But I got to ask you a question. Where have you been going to figure that out? What have you been doing to try and find answers to those questions? Who am I? What am I supposed to be doing with my life? Do you run to your friends? Do you listen to as many sermons as possible? Do you go to the self-help section in the bookstore? Do you go where the crowds are? Who am I? What am I supposed to be doing with my life? How do you know the true purpose of something? Would you not go to the one that created it? If somebody created this fun little machine that's meant to warm up bread, like it's called a toaster, right? And, and you take the bread, and to toast it, you have to put the bread inside those little sockets, and then you push down on that little thing, and, um, and then it's supposed to warm your bread. If I gave you a toaster, and you had never seen it before, and you wonder, what is supposed to happen? What am I supposed to do with this box, right? And you, you start to play with it, and you press down the buttons, and you realize, wow, it emits heat. So you decide, my socks have been wet. Why don't I just put my socks inside these little holes to dry them? Obviously, it won't work out the way it's supposed to work, right? You put it in, some electric shock, and pfft, there you go. Sorry, ruined the gift, right? Because that's not what it's intended for. That's not what the toaster's all about. So you have to figure out, What's this box? What is it meant for? The creator gets to decide what his creation is meant for, what its purpose is. Wouldn't you go to the creator to figure that out? I mean, it's such a simple little story, but I think you could get the point there. Who are you going to? Yes. So we ought to be reflecting who God is, right? Obviously, we're misusing what God has given us in the first place. So we're kind of like that busted toaster. So let's just imagine for now we're all kind of like a busted toaster because sin entered into us and we're not meant to be worshiping sin. But God created us to be able to glorify him, to reveal who he is. That's what glorify means, to make known who God is. But with sin in our life, that's not of God. So it's difficult for us to function in our purpose and what we're supposed to do, to honor and glorify and reflect who God is to people. So instead of trying to answer the question right now, um, what is the image of God? We've had many studies about this uh, before, but we could continue talking about that at another time. But for now, let's just focus on we're a broken image of God. We're not revealing God in what we're supposed to be doing, in what we are doing, okay? Wouldn't you want to go back to the creator to figure out what your purpose is? 
right? Where do you run to? What, this is a... This is a tricky, a tricky study. Simply because I realize at this moment that they're just people that don't know. Maybe they don't acknowledge God as creator. Why would you go to God to figure out who you are and what you were created for? How many of you go to God asking that question, what do you want from me? Why am I here? What am I supposed to be spending my life for? And then we make it all about us. Remember, we are the created being. We are not the God. But if we're living for ourselves, we make ourselves our own little God, you see. If you're going to God and you're asking him, what am I supposed to do so that I get what I want? What am I supposed to do so that I could be happy? What am I doing with this life that you gave me, but it's really my life now because you gave it to me? You know, and we, we need to wake up with this. We need a, a dose of reality. Let's look at 1 Corinthians chapter 6, verses 19 to 20. Do you not know that your bodies are temples of the Holy Spirit who is in you, whom you have received from God? You are not your own. You were bought at a price. Therefore, honor God with your bodies. As believers, do you not know that you are not your own? You are not your own. This life that you have, it's really not about you. So why bother going to God, we say. I come to God because I want to feel better, we say. I come to God because I need to get something from him. And we're still serving ourselves. It's still, we're still a busted toaster, if that's all that we're seeking, okay? We might start filling up on wet socks. We might start filling up on all the wrong things. We might start filling up on the things of the world rather than just, you know what, taking the bread of life and letting him dwell within, <laughs> right? You are not your own. I mean, we can make our own choices, we are responsible for the life that we've been entrusted with, but we do not own that life. But we are to manage this life. We live our lives according to who and what we identify with. Okay? Remember Adam in the Garden of Eden? Right? God creates Adam, puts him in charge. The very first thing that he does, the very first task he has for Adam is what? to name the animals. See, God gave Adam dominion over the animals, and part of that is he names them, so he has authority, okay? And the animals are beneath him. So now Adam is meant to manage all that has been entrusted to him. God put Adam in the garden. Was it Adam's garden? No, he just lived there, all right? Um, the food that was there, was that really Adam's food? No, but he was able to take part in eating it, right? I mean, all that was God's, right? And then a thief comes and tries to steal the people living in God's place and steal them over to his side. And that thief came in the form of a serpent. And that serpent comes wiggling in and tries to change 
their understanding and their thinking about their existence. He tries to trick them in away from all their reality is. The reality was they were alive. They were with God. They had communion and fellowship. They had everything they could possibly need. That was the reality. But the serpent comes in with a little question. Really? Did God say you can't eat this fruit too? Just a little question, you know? And then he says, you won't die. You won't surely die. And they believed a lie. So all that we need to not see what is real and what is true, all we need is a little lie that we choose to believe in. Anything that is not of God and you choose to believe in that and turn your eyes that way, the further away you get from reality, what truly is. We're living in a world full of deception, full of lies. The things of the world we start to crave. When we start giving ourselves to those things and looking that way, our eyes go further and further away from God and his truth because God is truth. Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. That's the reality of it all. See, he's inviting you into a real life. He's inviting you so that your eyes could be open to reality instead of continuing to believe the lies that you're dwelling in. Your life is not your own. You belong to someone or something. Whatever you worship... Whatever you turn to and elevate becomes your God, and you become a slave to it. That's it. So sin, if sinful desires are rising up in your heart, and it's tempting you and calling you, it wants to destroy you, and you choose to believe that it's going to be good for you. So you just go along with it because you get instant gratification. Okay? But you're still not living in reality. You're allowing yourself to be blinded to God's truth. Okay? Let's go to Romans chapter 8, verses 8 to 9. Those who are in the realm of the flesh cannot please God. You, however, are not in the realm of the flesh, but are in the realm of the Spirit. If indeed the Spirit of God lives in you, and if anyone does not have the spirit of Christ, they do not belong to Christ. If you're a Christian, you ought to have the name of Christ over your life. If you accept Jesus as your Lord and Savior, then it means that you've died to yourself and you've put on Christ. It means that you're a Christian, you bear his name. He has authority over your life. Your life belongs to him. Are you in the realm of the flesh or in the realm of the spirit? What does that mean to be in the realm of the flesh? What are your desires? Oh, this is a tricky one. You know, one of the biggest things that pulls us away from God are the relationships in our life the relationships in our life. 
We want to learn to love people well. We want to do better. We allow others to have some sort of uh, control over us in a way. And we'll do anything to please the person to make sure that we don't turn them off because we, we don't want to lose anybody. We, we don't want to do the wrong thing and, and screw up that relationship, right? And those relationships could easily, easily tear you away because the relationships, the person might promise you something and it sounds good, right? And, but before you get there, you have to do this for me. Before you get there, you need to do that for me. Before I could be with you, you need to change this. You need to change that. And we start to give in to the demands of this other person, right? And we think, oh, but if I do it, then I'll be happy. If I'll do it, then I'll be happy. And you keep doing it and doing it, and you realize I'm not getting any happier here. You've chosen to live in a lie, and the lie will never fulfill what the deepest longings of your heart are. Lies cannot do that. Only the truth can do that. Because who created you? The God of this world? The prince of this world? The enemy? Or did God of heaven, did he create you? You can only find true fulfillment when you go back to the creator. He knows you best. He knows what you're meant for. He will fill you and, and tweak you whatever way he needs to tweak you to make sure that you will reach that full potential that he wants for your life. The world can't do that for you. You just keep filling up on junk. So are you in the realm of the flesh, the realm of this world, or are you, are you operating from the realm of the spirit? Remember, Jesus prayed in the garden, I'm not asking you, Father, to take my followers out of this world. We are meant to be in this world, but not of this world. Okay? So you could be dwelling here with all this suffering and all this sickness and all this pain, but still be operating from the realm of God's spirit. Okay? Is this, am I going over your heads? Yes. That's true. That's true. He, he ought to if we allow him to. Now it's if we allow him to. Because sometimes we still, we're still duped from the reality, the spiritual reality. We might accept Christ and accept him with our head, but we haven't invited him into our heart, right? 
So, but when Christ truly comes and his spirit dwells in you, then yes, he will move you on that path of righteousness. He helps you live the upright way to bear his name. But you also mentioned something about when we sin, right? The question is, what is ruling in your heart? Is it the sin or is it the spirit of Christ? Well, I don't deny that, but the question is, what's ruling in your heart? Because if Christ is ruling in your heart, but your mind is still somewhere else, then you're dwelling in the realm of the flesh still. Well, Uncle, uh, very quickly, I want to remind, it's the, uh, the renewing of the mind that we're called to. So yes, you're absolutely correct. The mind needs to be renewed, but we cannot do that. It's only God's spirit that could renew us, right? That's right. Yes. Yeah. Sometimes I think it's also very important to remember, you know, if you've ever, um, thank you for sharing, if you've ever had anybody um, come and stay in your home, right? Have you ever had them welcome into your home and when they first get there, you're catering to them, you're making sure they're comfortable, they're welcome in your home. They might do, some people overstay their welcome. You know what I'm talking about. Okay. So <laughs> some people overstay their welcome and you start to grumble inside. And you're like, okay, well, you're starting to cramp my style, you know? Like, your feet are getting heavy, right? It's like you kind of want them out the door. So you might start to just ignore them. They're still there, but you're not engaging with them. You're still there, but you're choosing to have nothing to do with them. Sometimes as Christians, we do the same thing. We first invite God to come in. But then too much is changing. He's rearranging too much in your life. He's changing you from the inside out, but you're like, but I don't like those changes he's making. I still want to do the other things that I used to do before you came into my home, right? So you're still dwelling in the realm of the flesh, okay? But to dwell in the realm of the spirit means you come close, you draw near to God, you're engaged with him, and he starts, there's some sort of interaction and influence that happens there. Okay, it means um, when you eat at the same table, you're engaging with a person. So hospitality in the Bible was a huge thing. Breaking bread or sharing a meal with somebody at the same table, it means there's peace with us and we're coming to the table and we're sharing from the same. Okay, so you're being incorporated in relationship that way. Okay, and in this passage, what it's talking about, if anyone does not have the spirit of Christ, they do not belong to Christ. My question is, is Christ alive in you? You know? Galatians 2, verse 20. I have been crucified with Christ, and I no longer live, but Christ lives in me. Are we able to say this? Are we able to say this? I have been crucified with Christ. So you're identifying with Christ, right? But we need to recognize that when you 
identify with Christ in his death and his resurrection, when you identify with his crucifixion, you died too. It's no longer I that live, but Christ that lives in me. Maybe you missed that when you first heard the good news. Because you're just looking for forgiveness for your sins. Because you don't want to feel bad about what you've done. So you're like, sure, I want that free gift of salvation. Give it to me, and I want to go to heaven. Right? And, and we just use God in that way, not realizing what it means to welcome God into your life. It, we're saying, listen, I know that I am defunct, like I'm a broken toaster. So I go back to the creator and say, I'm sorry I broke the toaster. Could you please make me new again? And we could go back to God broken in our sin, broken in our shame. And then when we go to him, we say, you're the one that created me, and you're the only one that could help. Make me new. A rediscovered purpose. Yes. How can we, how, how can we know that Christ lives in us? That's a very good question. Well, this is the reality, but to know with, our, know with our head sometimes might be difficult because our mind could only understand our physical reality. But what God is inviting you into is beyond this physical reality. I could say today, Faye is wearing glasses. Is that what is? Yes. If I say, Faye is wearing beautiful glasses, well, that's just my perception. It might not be what actually is. No offense, okay. But the reality, physically, we can observe that the reality is that Faye is indeed wearing glasses. Right? Yeah. I'm sorry? If he's telling a lie or not. This is where faith comes in. Okay? We can only know the truth by God's Spirit. If we try and understand God's truth without His Spirit, then we don't belong to Him. If we don't have Christ in us, then we can't understand the things of God. We will reject the very things of God. Okay? So, to understand and trust that what God says in His Word is true, it means that we submit to him as our God, as our authority, as our creator, as our redeemer, as everything that we need for life, we find in him. If God says, listen, if you identify with Christ's crucifixion and resurrection, I'm going to put my spirit in you, okay? And I'm going to make that spirit come alive in you. But you have to keep choosing me if you want to have a real dynamic living relationship with me. Okay, so we can't rely on our own understanding. Our own understanding could only understand the physical realm of things, our physical reality. But to understand the spiritual reality, what actually is, remember the world, it paints so many beautiful things. Uh, my sister spread some cream cheese on a bagel for me once. And I don't know why, out of habit, I had to look to see what kind of cream cheese it was. It was Philadelphia cream cheese. I'm like, good. I like Philadelphia cream cheese. All right. And I thought about it. I'm like, well, I like Philadelphia cream cheese, but you know what? If she took the cheap 
brand of whatever cream cheese and put it in that container and spread that cream cheese, I would have thought, wow, Philadelphia cream cheese, good. I can't really tell the difference. Right? The reality is I've been duped. I'm going based on what the name says, right? Just, just that name. It's like a brand because that name holds so much influence. Okay? Does the name of Christ hold influence in your life? You could be a counterfeit cream cheese for all I know, and you're parading around with the name Christian. But on the inside, the reality is, Spirit of Christ is not dwelling there. This is how we misuse the name of Christ, of God. This is how we take the Lord's name in vain. We take the name Christian, but it's not the real deal. It's not reality. Okay? This brings us to our last section here, the reality of God's realm. 1 Peter chapter 2, verses 11 and 16. Dear friends, I urge you as foreigners and exiles to abstain from sinful desires, which wage war against your soul. Live as free people, but do not use your freedom as a cover-up for evil. Live as God's slaves. Interesting. It's interesting because I read this, and uh, I remember that this world is not our home. We belong to the realm of God's spirit. We are in the world, but not of the world. We must allow ourselves, we must not allow ourselves to get cozy here. We cannot allow ourselves to indulge in the flesh at the expense of our soul. You hear that again? We cannot allow ourselves to indulge in the flesh at the expense of our soul. When I read this too, it says, live as free people. Believers have been set free from slavery to sin, and it has no mastery any longer, sin that is. Are you living as a free person? I wonder, how can we be free, yet also a slave to God? See, today we think slavery, how terrible a thing, right? And that's why when we read verses like this in the Bible, people will say, wow, those Christians are bigots. They talk about slavery. They condone slavery. What do you mean you're made free and then you have to become a slave of God? Remember, a slave owns nothing. A slave owns nothing. They're merely there to manage what is the master's, okay? Yet a good master takes care of his slaves. He doesn't abuse them. He doesn't oppress them. He allows them to, to live in his, on, his, on his land. He allows them to dwell amongst him and his, everything else that is his. Are you living as a slave of God? Do you call him your master? Do you trust that he will supply your every need? Because remember, we are not our own. You came into this world with nothing, and when you leave this world, you bring nothing with you. You are not your own. If you're simply living for now to get everything you need for now and everything you want out of life now so that you could be comfortable and cozy, remember, this world is not your home. Don't live to build your own kingdom here on earth for the sake of material gain and wealth. 
What good is that? At the expense of your soul. What does it profit a man to gain the whole world but lose his soul? What are you living for? How are you spending your time each day? <laughs> Do you get to enjoy being a person that comes from the realm of God's spirit? You know, as a Canadian citizen, I enjoy Canada. I really do. And one time I traveled all the way across the globe to the other southern hemisphere. I was dwelling in this big island called Australia. And while I was there, there were like bugs. Really like dangerous, big, huge bugs <laughs> everywhere. You know, some of the most venomous animals live on that island down there in Australia. And for some reason, I remember being there in that place, but remembering, hold on, I'm a Canadian. I don't have to stay here forever. If ever I need to be out of this place, I know I'm going home eventually. But for now, I'll put up with all the bugs and the venomous creatures. I'm a Canadian. We don't have these venomous creatures up in Canada. Similarly, you as believers are now dwelling in this world. And it's full of all these scary things, things that are out to get you, things that just want to kill you, okay? But remember, you, you, don't come, you don't belong here in this world anymore. You are now, as a believer, a citizen of heaven. Are you not looking forward to the day that you get to go home and be with your maker, free from all this sickness and grossness and everything that's out to get you and try to kill your soul. 1 Corinthians chapter 2, verses 12 to 14. What we have received is not the spirit of the world, but the spirit who is from God, so that we may understand what God excuse me, has freely given us. This is what we speak, not in words taught by human wisdom, but in words taught by the Spirit, explaining spiritual realities in Spirit-taught words. The person without the Spirit does not accept things that come from the Spirit of God, but considers them foolishness and cannot understand them because they are discerned only through the Spirit. This is what we were talking about earlier. I wonder how many of us might learn things at church we're in our Bible study, and we scoff, and we, we think it's foolish. How could you believe what it says there in the Bible? Well, the Spirit helps me believe his spiritual reality. The Bible already told me, don't lean on your own understanding. Why? We can't comprehend with just our eyes and our own thinking. We need God's Spirit to bring His truths alive so that we could experience this spiritual reality. We won't be warring anymore within ourselves. Yes? Yeah, being Spirit-led. Yeah. You know... Um, Sometimes it's difficult to know 
for ourselves, to trust that the Spirit is alive with us. Right? Yeah, sometimes we're just looking at the label, right? Yeah. Sometimes we're looking at the label. The reality of God's realm cannot be faked. When an imposter comes and tries to enter into God's family and start shaking things up, we know that their actions are not actions from the leading of God's spirit. We know that they are an imposter, okay, that has not experienced the spiritual realities of God because the Spirit is not dwelling with them. God's Spirit helps us discern that, you see. You could be the kindest person and do the nicest things, but even God's Spirit could see through the facade because he knows that you're being a fake, a hypocrite, um, a person that's delusional and not living in his spiritual reality. Now, I'm not here to start singling people out and say, you're not a Christian, you're not a Christian. My whole purpose here is to help you be aware for yourself. Are you living deluded? Are you living believing lies? Is Christ alive in you? Have you welcomed God into your life? Do you go and read his word? Are you seeking him with all your heart? Romans 8, 22 to 25 says, All around us we observe a pregnant creation. The difficult times of pain throughout the world are simply birth pangs. But it's not only around us. It's within us. The Spirit of God is arousing us within. We are also feeling the birth pangs. These sterile and barren bodies of ours are yearning for full deliverance. That is why waiting does not diminish us any more than waiting diminishes a pregnant mother. We are enlarged in the waiting. We, of course, don't see what is enlarging us. But the longer we wait, the larger we become, and the more joyful our expectancy. For today, you don't have to figure everything out. And I know that, in a way, we are all in waiting. I am waiting and longing for the day that Jesus Christ comes back to take us to dwell with him for all eternity. I'm waiting for my physical existence to, to change. I am looking for a spiritual reality to be fully revealed and recognized at the time of Christ's return where there will be no more sadness, no more pain, no more anger, only joy and peace and love and goodness Everything that is of God, that's what I long for. When my wife was pregnant with her last child, boy, she was uncomfortable. With my most recent child. <laughs> what, what? <laughs> I don't know what else the Lord has in store, but, you know, 
our most recent child. <laughs> because if I say last, then God's going to test me again with another one. <laughs> but it is a test, you know? And I saw my wife, and she just, oh, she was uncomfortable many days. And I didn't know what to do to help comfort her. I could bring a water bottle, a hot water bottle, or something to drink to make her more comfortable. But that was just for immediate um, relief, just in the waiting. And I remember just telling her, just wait. Remember what it's like on the other side of this. When that baby comes out, all this, you won't even remember it. And she goes, that's easy for you to say. You don't know what it's like. I said, I don't know what it's like, but I know on the other side of this, oh, the joy. Oh, the joy that comes. Are you looking forward to anything with God? Or are you just grumbling through the days saying, this is uncomfortable, this kind of sucks, I just want it to be over? Because at the end of this suffering, friends, it's a new beginning. At the end of this suffering, only joy we will have when we're with our maker. What it is to be a child of God here today. We're still in this world. I want to go home. I want to go home because this is not where I belong. Who's coming with me? Joy. We need joy. Are you a child of God? Yeah? You claiming to be a child of God today? Are you bearing Christ's name today? As your brother in Christ, I got to beg you, friends, do not misuse his name any longer. Do not take his name in vain. We need to live upright lives, serving one another, loving each other, and going back to our maker to see, what do you want of us, God? Send your spirit to work in our lives. And lead us and guide us to do your will, O oh God. This is my prayer.